Well, good morning again, everybody. I just want to say kind of ditto of Brett's prayer there. I was going to start off with prayer, but he prayed everything that I was going to pray, so let's piggyback off of that. But I just want to wish you a happy new year. Hope that your <clears throat> new year and Christmas celebrations went well. Um, thinking forward even to next year, how both of those days are going to be on Sunday. That should be interesting and, and fun for everyone, having a Sunday morning for Christmas. It only happens every now and then. But, you know, I hope that you are entering this new year with the same fire and the same passion that we normally enter a new year into. Um, you know, the new year, new me type of mentality, and you got all these changes that you want to make, and plans, and goals, and targets, and you have meaning and purpose again, and, and you're ready to do it for the first few weeks. But, you know, that, that term, purpose, I find interesting. You know, when you think about purpose, as people develop these different things, it may have been a while since you've addressed that general vague question of the meaning of life and why am I here? What's my purpose? You know, when we have moments like this with the new year, it helps us to reflect on that. But I want to put it in your face this morning. What is your purpose of being here on a negative eight degree temperature day where there's some snow and it's just easier to maybe stay in under the covers? Why did you come here today? Why this church? You know, it's a, it's a very pointed question for us to consider that I'm sure can have a range of answers. I think it's a question that has a very general, vague answer in terms of the purpose in life, and then a lot of smaller changes in terms of purpose that can change throughout our life. You know, for instance, a young mother might think that her purpose is changing diapers and making sure everyone stays alive for a period of time. Somebody that is working um, could think that their purpose is bringing home the bacon for that season. And then once you retire, how does that purpose change? You know, in, in the classical conversations community, uh, the mission statement is to know God and to make Him known. I think that's a, a pretty good statement of purpose. The, the last part, a lot of times, the how that purpose is lived out is usually kind of what's up for grabs for people. And when we reflect on that statement, I think that we can come on board with it. But again, how do we live that out? Many times when I have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, we talk about biblical things, we talk about life and things like that, and, and people begin to think, you know, this gospel message, this, this Christian life, it's, it's a pie-in-the-sky type of thing. It's intellectual. It's all up there. How does that help me put food on the table right now? How does that help me to raise my children? How does that help me with what I'm struggling through right now? Many times as I talk to people, we're just so busy. We're just running around and our priorities are out of alignment, out of whack. And we just run around doing different things. And we don't have time to sit and think about the purpose of our life. It's much easier to just get by, to escape, 
to veg out from time to time rather than to live to what we are called to live up to. You know, perhaps you find yourself in those types of ruts, stuck in those similar types of cycles or thoughts, sin patterns that frequently hinder our walk. And we struggle to find purpose and meaning in our life. You know, this question about purpose isn't just for the graduating teenagers of what do you want to do with your life now? It's for those in their 20s as they figure out are they going to get married? Are they going to stay single? What type of career are they going to have? In their 30s and 40s as they're raising up their family and finding meaning in their work or different employment opportunities here or there, maybe moving across the country. For those in their 50s as they approach retirement and they look to the purpose of that. Or, you know, 60s and beyond in the retired life. How their purpose then changes. And you ask that question, do I still have value? Do I still have purpose? Am I still a functional member of this society? You know, the question of purpose, I think, in every stage of life is there. And we try to draw out vision and meaning in our lives to make it worthwhile. Everyone walks this type of road, and we all deal with these types of thoughts, so we're not alone in that type of thinking, wondering what our purpose is. Over the next few months, I want to focus on purpose when it comes to our spiritual lives. Today is kind of an introductory message, so to speak, of the next series. We've been hearing messages over the past few years to tell us about who God is and what He has done. We have looked at the Gospel of Luke to study the life of Jesus a little bit closer. And then we just finished with a series about keeping in step with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit. We're going to continue in that same theme and talk a little bit more specifically about the gifts of the Spirit and the role that they play in the church, how the church does or does not use them. Because yes, because everything is controversial these days, everything tends to be on a spectrum of belief, there is division. Which is funny, because within the passages as you study them, one of the key primary points is unity. But yet we see such division. The irony and God's timing and sense of humor is not lost on me with that. So over the coming months, we're going to be looking at three areas of Scripture from Paul. We'll be looking at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, Romans 12, 3 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And I know within 1 Corinthians, the main part of the gifts is in that first section of chapter 12. But the following chapters give a lot of context. Chapter 14 speaks about prophecy and tongues quite a bit, gives you got a lot of good context for orderly worship. And we're just going to throw in women in ministry too. Because when you're talking about controversial things, why not just jump in with both feet? So... It's going to be a fun ride. Um, you know, I've been praying and praying about this series because it's unlike others that I have done where there might be some disagreements. You know, disagreements surrounding the beliefs on gifts divide churches and believers in strong ways. 
The Christian Missionary Alliance has always been open to the gifts. Um, we have roots in Pentecostalism. There have been branches such as the Foursquare denomination and Assemblies of God that have broke off as different movements from CMA. Um, CMA um, never started off to be a denomination. It started off to be more of a mission-sending organization that would get different churches together to send uh, people overseas to complete the Great Commission. And over time, it kind of just solidified more into denomination. Um, they do have national offices, but they like to leave a lot of the autonomy to local churches. So you can have a range within the denomination where you have a CMA church that's maybe more Pentecostal in their beliefs, in their structure. And you might have one that's more Baptist. Of course, loaded terms that need unpacked. But the main thing is the, the mission has always been an emphasis within the CMA church of taking the gospel message message to other uh, places. What the churches do locally, they try to leave up for that church. So when you think about the mission that our denomination has and pushing it back to the local church, what is the purpose then of this church? How do we function as a church? How do we function as believers within that church? You know, what is your individual purpose here? Do we think of purpose, do we think of meaning only as titles, tithes, or attendance, and things like that? Do we think about the tasks that we do that give us different types of purpose? You know, when we think about those types of things, those things can become idols. Those things can become the priority in our walk with the Lord. And we need to take note of those different things. I mean, there are definitely different roles that need to be done within the church, within the local church. And we ask periodically for people to step into those roles. But sometimes we might think that those roles are, are menial beneath us a little bit. Sometimes we think, no way do I want to step into that role. That's way too much responsibility. You know, and, and we think about these types of things. And, and we need to keep the main priority in focus in terms of our worship and our love for God and how we are serving Him, how we are going about doing that. So I want to contemplate this a little bit this morning. You know, we have our big purpose, worshiping God, having a relationship with Him, love God, love others, and then we love, or yeah, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love others as yourself. You know, this, this loving others is where we find some good purpose that can be lived out within our community, within our church that unites us, that spills over into the community to do what he has called us to do as we are serving him. You know, my purpose, as I have walked in this Christian life, no matter what church I am in, has always been to, to love him to the best that I am able to and then serve him in any way that he calls me to serve. Now, I do have my druthers about that in terms of, you know, singing or maybe doing interpretive dance Nobody really wants to hear or see that. But if the Lord calls you to do something, are you open to it? You know, you, you have those big moments in your life where you have that decision. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. In that instance, I'd say that you're being out of God's will. I'm not going to do those things. 
You know, knowing God, making Him known. Again, I think that's a good purpose statement for us to live as believers. And over the next few months, you know, you look at the how-tos. Over the next few months, my purpose will be to take us into Scripture to show us how the working of the Spirit in us brings us purpose in the here and now and how that can impact our church and our community. Now, this teaching, again, builds off of the last mini-series that we had in terms of keeping in step with the Spirit, where that's going to be assumed that you've processed through some of that stuff in those messages. Understanding that there's going to be action steps that are taken if you want to see change in your life to where you need to be walking with the Spirit. This isn't a type of message or a series that's a come and consume and just take. It is how are you walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with Him and watching Him move in your life type of thing. You know, as I said, I've been praying for close to 10 months on this series through nerves, through anxiety, and, and through excitement. You know, I have compiled a ton of material. I have read books, commentaries, essays, articles, listened to different podcasts. I have saturated myself in these topics. I am ready to just dump it on you. But I don't have an outline. I don't have an order. Every time that I try to lay something out, another thing pops up, another rabbit trail. And then I have to use discernment. It's like, okay, how deep do I take into these types of topics? How far do I go down this rabbit trail? Because here's the quandary. As I said, there is different spectrum on beliefs. On one side of the spectrum, you have people that say that the gifts of the Spirit are no longer good for today. They have ceased. This belief is called cessationism. It's a belief that has been refined over the years to define it as just the supernatural gifts having been ceased. Healing, prophecies, tongues, and works of miracles. Um, I would argue that since they're the gifts of the Spirit, they're all supernatural um, in that regards. The other side of the belief is that the gifts of the Spirit continue on today in the church, and the church should be, and they should be used. This is a belief called continuanism. Throughout history, you have had a wide variety of opinions and beliefs on this subject. You've had high-profile names that come down on either side. Today, two of the bigger names would be John MacArthur, who is a cessationist. He wrote Strange Fire. Then you have John Piper, who is a continuanist and believes that the gifts are still for today. So you have definite division or just disagreement within this topic. And through history, we have seen abuses on both sides that have fractured church bodies and denominations, abuses that have hurt unity. Um... And, and, you know, whoever you listen to more in your life in terms of podcasts or read different books, um, that maybe some of the experiences that you've had growing up will form your beliefs and your opinions on this subject matter. And what happens then is that as believers, we have our own ways of understanding the topic. And then we enter into these passages and we impose those traditions, those thoughts on that passage. This is called eisegesis. 
to where it is a subjective method of interpretation, where we're putting our own opinions and thoughts into the text, as opposed to exegesis, where you're drawing it out and drawing that meaning out from the text. Spoiler alert, we all do eisegesis. Yes, I know, even me, it's hard to believe, but we all do it. And it's being aware about that and understanding how we're approaching the different texts or controversial subjects like this, where we want to enter with a heart, as we talked about in Sunday school, a heart with grace, a desire to learn more and to know more about the truth and diving down into that. So I want to be upfront with you as we begin this series. I am a continuanist. I believe that the gifts are for today. However, through this series, what I want to draw out most is defining our terms. What the, how you define um, the different gifts, how you define the different offices, and so forth and so on, so that we can kind of be on the same page. As I've said before with all of these spectrum issues, I believe in a healthy balance. I try to avoid extremes. You know, I, the most popular one that I bring up often is Calvinism and Arminianism. I don't fall on either side. Um, I think that, again, that they both have good points. But as I see those types of extremes or those types of spectrums, I try to center myself as much as I can and try to stick to what the Word says. So, if you are in, of, in the camp that the gifts have stopped, please don't run for the doors. Please don't think that I'm of the belief that you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved or anything like that. Again, abuses. As we go through this series, my initial plan, again, is to spend one week on each of the gifts, laying out through Scripture what we see and, and talking about that. It might go into more than one week on some of these gifts. Um, and then talk a little bit about the abuses of the church, how the gifts have been misused in the past, so that we can have a healthy understanding of how to approach even what's going on today in some camps that are out there, being aware of what's around us, so that we can understand what Scripture is saying and what God has put forward so we can fulfill His purposes. I mean, I know going in, it is potential to get messy. I understand that, but I'm still excited because it's God's word and we're going to be digging deeper for the most part. And I have peace with all of that. You know, and as I say this, I will try my best to have things kind of scripted out because these rabbit trails can take us down some interesting places. And if I get off track, I don't know how to get back sometimes. You know, I, I usually, as I write a message, I'm going through different things in my head. And I get to places I don't even know how I got there. And I don't know how to see myself back. So a lot of this, I'm going to try to have scripted out for us. Um, and, and just know that as we go deep into some of these things, it is definitely not my heart to offend, to oppose, to assume. Sometimes it may come across that way. Um, but, you know, within all of these passages, as I said, there's a strong theme of unity. Unity not for the sake of unity, but unity in the gospel message. Another strong theme is variety. Understanding we're all different. 
We all have different gifts. We all have different personalities. Um, and, and God has brought us all together to sharpen each other. And we, we need to understand that uh, a little bit better, I think. But, you know, I think that there will also be quite a few random thoughts within the series. So you just kind of have to, to bear with me through some of that. You know, and as I define these terms, again, I'm going to try to define them as best as I can through what the Bible uses. Um, I was talking with Matt Keller a couple weeks ago. In each of the gifts, I have at least 30 different verses or passages for each of the gifts. Again, I'd love to just dump it on you, but you, you find order, you find meaning in, in how to, to bring that. Again, trying to avoid eisegesis as much as I can through those times. You know, and as I was remind, I was reminded of a few things this week as I was studying for this, this message and dealing with purpose and following God. I was reminded of when I was first called into ministry. Um, and I went to seminary. I was kind of a, a younger type of Christian in my faith. I knew I needed more knowledge, and I, I knew I needed more Bible knowledge, really. So I went right into seminary once I got that calling. But, you know, at that time in my life, I was, I was on fire for the Lord. I was working in the factories. I was serving him there. And I was having arguments with atheists about whether or not God was real. And I was pointing people to scripture passages. I was showing them different examples in my life and in their life, pointing out where God is working. And it was just an amazing, amazing time. I, could, I was experiencing God in such strong ways through that time. And then I went into the environment of seminary to where I was having arguments with professors and other students about the creation myth, about Deutero-Isaiah, about Calvinism and Arminianism, about authorship of all these texts, about women in ministry. And my head just began to hurt. It's like, why are we discussing all of these types of things? I got into youth ministry, still kind of on fire for the Lord. It's, I got into youth ministry as soon as I entered seminary. And the youth group had about 12 kids in it. Within a year, it shot up to 50 kids. Well over my head, didn't know what I was doing. All right, Lord, you take the reins in this. You go, because we were seeing amazing things. I was seeing deliverances. I was seeing miracles happen. And it was such a time of praise. But on the flip side of that, I saw the workings of the organization of the church and attempts to control and rein things in. I mean, order is good for sure, but what I saw was a lot of quenching of the spirit, broken spirits, where kids just walked away from the church for good, don't want to have anything to do with those hypocrites. Over time, it's easier for us as believers to just fall in line with the status quo, to walk in line with what's acceptable with the culture of the church, a culture that many times is unspoken but expected. As we go through this series, I do not want to lead us to a place where we are quenching the Spirit. I also do not want to lead us to a place where we're running around hooting and hollering, speaking gibberish. Maybe, maybe a little bit of hooting every now and then. But I want to lead us to a place where we're open to be used by God how he sees fit. 
where we're keeping in step with him, walking with him, and we understand what his will is. Not us controlling, you know, saying, I will only do this on this day of the week for this hour, so show up then, God. But giving our whole selves to him, being open and surrendering. Because when you're open, wow. I mean, that's all I can say. The things that I've experienced and witnessed the Lord working through is wow. You know, and if you ever find yourself in a church, even this one, where you don't feel like you can be open with the Spirit, where you feel like you can't follow the Spirit's leading, you have my permission to go seek where, or go and follow where the Spirit is leading you. Test the spirits for sure. Pray about it. But at the same time, I want you to be following Jesus, not me. I'm going to mess up. I've already, yeah, I've, as my, that's my joke, is I've already got savings funds set up for the kids to pay their psychology bills in the future. You know? But as we continue to follow the Lord, we're going to do what we can to grow, to grow together. This week I watched the movie Prince Caspian with the kids. I love the whole series of Chronicles of Narnia, but I was reminded very deeply about faith as I looked at the Pensieve children. How I long to have the faith of Lucy. You know, we quote that verse all the time, to have the faith of a child. But to see it portrayed in the text or in the movies, you look at the faith that Lucy has, and it's truly inspiring. But how often I have the faith of Peter, who is bullish and just wants to move forward doing his own thing all of the time, and then having God bless that. Maybe we have a timid faith like Edmund, who realizes how much he messed up, knows the truth, but still doesn't want to take a step in case he messes up again. And I shudder at the faith of Susan, who gets caught up with the things of the world, and in the last battle, isn't even mentioned at the end. This week I reminisced about my early ministries and this movie, and I forgot, as I reminisced, I forgot how much, I remembered how much I forgot the wonder and awe of God. How simple faith can impact your life. The faith of a mustard seed. How nice it is to think about how the lion will lay with the lamb. And that we need to find rest in him. So what I want to do with us today is to read through these three different passages. I'm going to read through them with a little bit of annotation to give us an understanding and context of where we're going to be heading in the next few months trying to hold on to some of these larger points within the text. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to repeat them, but you want to keep them in mind as we're going through. So I want to start in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, I'm going to begin in verse 11. 
Verse 11 begins, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So within this section, obviously, verse 11, you see the offices, not necessarily gifts, but offices that we will talk about, um, different roles that are in the church. Um, and then the sections beyond, the main sections there, 11 through 13. And then the section beyond kind of gives us more context of fulfillment in the future use. So we'll hit those kinds of areas too, as those will be very important. Go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. Beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So within this smaller list here in Romans, uh, we're going to see some crossover to what's the main section there in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, so I'm probably going to skip over those main ones and just hit the ones that are unique to Romans 12, and then we'll kind of cross-reference as we do go through those different gifts. But what I want to point out here is that the gifts are just that, gifts. They are given by God. Just because they were gifted at one particular time does not mean that that is your gift for eternity. Um, we have plenty of examples of that. Uh, and there's no formula about the gifts. It's a gift of grace given by God. I mean, you look at Paul, who definitely had the gift of healing at times. But there's also times where he was not able to heal people. You look at the disciples um, in Mark chapter 9, I believe, where they could not drive out the demon. They could not cast the demon out. Jesus says, this is the kind that can only come out through prayer. 
You know, so you see different instances where we have to understand the gifts of what, as what they are, gifts. It's not a formula type of thing. It's not a permanence type of thing. So we'll get into that kind of issue a little bit deeper. But again, just getting that into your head, the meaning of gift and the specific purposes. Not for our own gain, but for building up of the body. And we also see how this list is not going to be exhaustive. How you have unique things here in Romans and different things in, in Corinthians. Paul doesn't say the exact same thing to both churches. And we're going to see some different overlap as well. So go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. Shoot. Or not 13, sorry, 12. So since this is a bigger section, I'll kind of break it up and annotate a little bit from there. Starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So that's kind of the, the main list that we're going to be walking through. Um, and I want to point out some different purpose verses for us. Verse 1 does not want the church to be uninformed. Again, addressing different abuses. The Corinthian church was pretty messed up as you read through that letter. And we'll get into some of that. But he's addressing different things of how they are misusing the gifts. Uh, verse 7, it is for the common good. And verse 11, it is the Spirit who apportions. You know, even as you look at James 5 and pastors and elders lay hands on people, it is not in our power. It is only the Spirit as we are doing what we are instructed to do. We have to understand it is His will that is manifested. Let's continue um, in verse 12. For just as one, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of, their bo- of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So, I mean, a very popular passage, speaking of the body, understanding that we are different. We have variety within the body. I mean, if we were all the same, honestly, it'd be kind of boring. You know, when we think about the differences that we have, it's important not to just celebrate them just to be different, but to celebrate how they add to the body, how they add to the body of Christ and that unity. And then um, we see there in verse 31, it's a command to desire the higher gifts. Let's look at this more excellent way in chapter 13. And I will show you still a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, 
it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the centerpiece in all that we're doing. It is the love of Christ in us. And we talked about that today in Sunday school in terms of how we're communicating that message. Mike talked about it today in, in the communion message in terms of the sacrifice that is given by Jesus. If it, if it wasn't done in love, it would be meaningless. We see God's love within the sacrifice of Christ. And that love that is in us then comes out as we share his purposes as we share his message and serve him. It's going to be fun to expound through that chapter. On to chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire, another command, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Consolation can also be comfort. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if, you, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Notice that purpose line. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, 
In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for the believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say that you are out of your minds. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, or a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should, be kept, should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophecy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So, Who's excited? <laughs> it should be a lot of fun. As I said, I think I'm going to be starting with the offices next week because for some reason I think that those are going to be easiest. Um, but then we'll kind of go on from there. We'll work through the list of gifts addressing Romans first and then going through Corinthians. I wanted to read everything together today, again, to give us a context try our best to hold some of those big points in our heads as we go through some of these messages. Because sometimes we'll get stuck on one thing and not remember the overall picture, whether it's unity or building up or encouraging and things like that. So we want to try to hold those things in our minds so that we can understand what Paul is teaching and saying. And again, when we get to the Corinthian context, it's a crazy church. It just is. But um, you know, we want to try to emphasize building up of the church body. Um, trying 
to understand unity as best as we can within these subjects, within our differences, within our varieties. And we want to, again, address how we are walking with the Spirit. Because many times you're going to see a direct correlation to how you're walking with the Spirit, to what's manifesting in your life. Whether that's the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. You know, if you're not having a lot of peace, how's your walk? You know, you can answer a lot of questions just by simply asking that question. Um, you can address a lot of different things that are going on. And again, when I say the term manifesting, I don't mean fireworks going off. I don't mean doves coming down to rest on your shoulder, the audible voice of God booming through the building. I mean, it can happen. I wish it would happen because then we could just be like, see, we told you so. But that's not always the way that God works. So we want to be aware of those kinds of things. Um, and we'll get into some of those examples in the Bible and how to walk forward in our faith and what to, to look for as we're walking in the Spirit moving on. But uh, I'm excited. Um, and I also want to say, you know, if, if you have questions as you take notes, feel free to reach out, call me, send me an email, set up a meeting time. We can talk through different things, different questions. It's a fun topic. It's a deep topic for sure. Um, maybe a little bit too deep for a Sunday morning, but we're going to step into this as the Lord has led. So with that, let's go ahead and pray for today. Father, we just want to, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you continue to work through us and in us uh, by the power of your spirit. And Lord, as we get into these types of topics that tend to be controversial, I just pray for grace to be bathed in this whole thing, Lord, that you would Help us to gain in our understanding that you would challenge maybe traditions or the, the ways that we're approaching your text, no matter what side of the spectrum we might be on. Lord, help me, humble me each and every week. Lord, as I prepare to give your word, Lord, I pray that it is your spirit that speaks through me in all things. And Father, as we continue to grow as a body, as we grow more united in faith to your gospel message, I pray that you would give us such a strong passion for your purposes, to know you more, to have a desire to know you more, and to go out and serve. Lord, give us the answers to those questions in terms of the capacities of how we are to serve. Help us to understand and to know your will to fall in line with that, to jump in with both feet when you say to jump. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have given us. We thank you for the love that has come down in Jesus, the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have received, and I pray that as we start this new year, Lord, that we have a renewed sense of purpose to serve you well in our, in our lives, in our homes, in our church, and in our community. Lord, may you, be a pra may you be praised above all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.